0: Wow, power of the name of Jesus, that is a, a powerful thought this morning, and a powerful thought as we think about the Christmas season and all that we celebrate, we have a lot to celebrate, you know, it's, it's Christmas, and you can tell, you can tell in our culture, because Black Friday is behind us, you know, Cyber Monday happened, Giving Tuesday happened, and if, you know, if, if you miss Giving Tuesday, here's the really good news, there's Giving Sunday every week here at Daybreak, so... You, don't worry, don't worry. So uh, you know, I, I I thought about all the Christmas things that happen, and I'm sure like you've been thinking about some of those Christmas things too as we celebrate this season. Cultural things. How many of you have your Christmas tree up? Anybody ever your Christmas tree up? That's fantastic. Susie and I put our Christmas tree up. Let me show you what it looks like. Now you might think like. Hey, you must have just got that yesterday. We got that at Thanksgiving, and it's, it still looks like that. So, I mean, there, there's things, the decorations are now out, and we're actually hoping that if we leave them out overnight, they'll kind of crawl up on the tree while we're not watching. That hasn't happened yet, but we're hoping it will. Um, but there are lots of traditions this time of year, you know, and some of those traditions, you all, you, like, is generosity. You need know, to think about all the holiday happening things that we've been doing at daybreak. And it's not just a daybreak, like, everywhere you go, There are there are ways for you to be generous. It is part is enculturated in who we are in this culture to be generous this time of the year. You can't go to the grocery store right without being asked that question, you know. And and it's hard because you you pull up to the checkout counter, and if you're if if you're the Andrews family, you pull up, and it looks like you're about to feed an army, right. It's two 18-year-olds who eat 5,000 calories a day, but it looks like you're about to feed an army and your grocery cart's piled high, and you know, right? Like, you know when, when the cashier asks you this question, hey, do you want to donate a dollar to the hungry? Now, you've been there like seven times that week, but you know, right? You know in your head what's going to happen if you say no, right? This is, this is what they hear in their head. They're like, yeah, sure, you donated last time. I bet you did, right? Like, they're, they're like, I don't think so. Like, you're, you're, you're Mr. Grinch, right? You're the, you're the one. And so this morning, like, as we go into this season, this, this question about why Jesus came or celebrating Christmas, I want you to be caught off guard. We don't want to be caught off guard as followers of Jesus when we see a need. When you see that homeless person with a sign, we'll work for food. Or when you. When you have that, you give that, the cashier says, I want to give you some change. Like, will you give change to this for this reason? Like, all of those things. Will you serve in the soup kitchen? Will you help a shut-in? Will you take care of an orphan? I want not you just be overwhelmed and frozen up and like, I don't know what to do? Because at some point, you're going to feel a bit of that. And the conversation that we typically have in this space, you know, I think in the culture, it often shifts to like a political conversation, like, What should our government be doing to take care of people? And it is appropriate to ask those questions in any nation who wants to be responsible. Those are appropriate questions to ask, but it's not the question we're going to ask. We're going to ask a question that's much more important, that's much more relevant than that, because our question doesn't have to do with what does it mean to be human. Our question has to do with what does it mean to be followers of Jesus. In this season and why Jesus came, Why did Jesus come? What are we really celebrating? What does Jesus' birth actually mean for us? When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we think about the incredible things that happened, the good news that came. And we want to talk about that. We want to talk about... As Jesus came, what were the reasons that he came so that we can follow in that? Whether it be about mercy or justice or generosity or love, we want to understand who was this Jesus that we celebrate, that we celebrate his coming this season of the year. We want to let our hearts be deeply impacted by that. Now, we could talk about lots of things in the Christmas season, you know, lots of great things. We could talk about the manger, you know, the miracle of what all happened that night. The shepherds who saw these, the miracle the angels who came and said, you need to go celebrate this. The, the miracle that kings from around the world came who had studied the stars and they had been spoken to by God's Spirit and they came to worship the king who was a baby in a manger. How often does that happen? Like These would be all appropriate things to talk about. These are things that we should talk about and yet the most important thing might be to look at the larger picture of why Jesus came. Because Jesus' birth, it should be a reminder to us. It should be a reminder of the mission of the church. The purpose of his coming should remind us of our purpose, of why God put us here, what God dreams for us to be a part of, to help people on a a life-changing journey with Jesus, to help them discover God's great love for them, to impact their lives that's always been part of who we are at daybreak not just like hey we'll wait for people to come but we've always been a church that says we want to go to people too which is why we launched this second campus to say it's not good enough for like people shouldn't have to drive 30 minutes like we need to we need to go further out so that people can come, people can meet jesus so that we can be a part of other communities on the west shore it's who we've always been it's it's part of our our new re, our new focus in this coming years like you know 90% of our ministries up to this time like we're still like once you invited someone to come, they could experience life-changing ministry. And, and you should. That's why it's so vital for you to be thinking and helping people on that journey and saying, come with me to experience the family of God and a life-changing journey. But we said we, we, there are so many good ministries here that if we just turn them a little bit and said we're going to go to the community, we're going to invite the community to experience it, it would change their lives too. It's part of who we are. So here's our starting point today. Our starting point today is in a story that if you've been in church a long time, and even if you haven't been in church a long time, you might be familiar with this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a, story, it's a story that Jesus told as an adult. And it begins with this question, this question that a person who should have known the answer to it asks, which is, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I find eternal life? And when Jesus answers him, he decides to tell a parable. Now, a parable is a story with a point. Right? It's a story with a point, a very poignant point that drills it home like this is what it means to love Jesus. And so Jesus basically turns the thing on its head when he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns it on the head with the story and says, it's not about what you have to do to inherit eternal life. It's who do you need to become? What kind of person do you need to become? In other words, as we celebrate Christmas... And we look at this parable today and we ask, What am I celebrating? We might find the answer that Jesus is trying to help us find, which is become a person of mercy. Be merciful as Jesus is merciful. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. That's the lesson that this parable teaches us to live a life of mercy just like Jesus, to pay attention to the marginalized in our culture. In fact, if you were to study the scriptures, um, and Jonathan Edwards, which was a, a pretty incredible theologian in America, he said when he studied the scriptures, he said, I can find no command more urgent and more often from Jesus and throughout the New Testament than the command to take care of the marginalized, to put our direction and our care towards people, to show mercy. And so we're going to study that this morning because... The truth is that if we look at that, it will confront us. It will confront us on our, about our busyness. It will confront us about our sense of importance. It will confront us in a lot of areas. And so I hope that you enter in today and you study that with me. And if you want to uh, turn in your scriptures or open your phone up in the Bible to Luke chapter 10, that's where we're going to spend time. You can also open up your outline. Um, this little thing that says Scoop, there's an outline inside. You can follow along today. So we talk about how do I be merciful as Jesus is merciful? How do I learn this real lesson that Jesus wants to teach and that did teach? And it starts with Jesus saying, you need to show mercy sacrificially. This is one of the big points of the story. Jesus describes what mercy looks like. He says, you need to show mercy sacrificially. So let's let's just take a look at the scripture this morning um, from Luke 10, starting in verse 25. It says, in verse 25, and now remember the context here is like this question that gets asked. So Jesus is out and amongst other people in the crowd, and, and he's speaking, and behold, says, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now, how would you like that? Like, if you go out speaking, how many times do you have a lawyer stand up to give you a test? Like, does that not sound so inviting? Like, I hope next time I have a conversation, it's a lawyer stands up in the middle of my preaching and says, hey, I'd like to ask you a question. Like, that, like... Can you imagine the scene of Jesus, this lawyer stands up? Now, a lawyer then is um, an expert, an expert in law, just like today, but their expert in law was in the law of, of Israel, which was God's law, which was we found in the Old Testament. And so there's all these laws. And so when he stands up and asks this question that he's about to ask, Jesus already knows he's a lawyer. He is a teacher of these things. He should know the answer to this, and he is clearly asking because, he, he's putting something to the test. And so, but Jesus, being authentic like he is, wants to answer. So he says, this is what the lawyer says. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says back to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So I love this about Jesus. I wish I, I, wish I was really good at this. When someone asks you a question, you just answer with a question. Right? Like, oh, well, let me help you I'll answer. You know, I because our temptation is like, okay. Okay, what's the right answer here? How can I exactly say this the right way and think about this and, and make sure that I say all the right things? And how do I sound how do I not sound like an idiot when I come up with this, right? I and mean, you know, as a pastor, like you're like, okay, how do I say this and not sound like I'm a hereditary? You know, I just don't I don't want to like totally misquote scripture. Like, what am I going about to say here? so Jesus doesn't make up one of those answers. He answers with a question. And what's interesting is what he does is he says, listen. You want to know how to inherit eternal life? Then look at the ancient sacred writings of the Old Testament. He doesn't say, hey, I have something new to say. He says, it's been in there all along. So if you thought, if you're a church person, you've been a church person a long time, you thought, well, the message of salvation is a New Testament thing, Jesus says, no, it's been in there all along. And so he says, why don't you tell me? What's it say? So here's what the lawyer says. He says, well... It says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, as followers of Jesus now, we, we've, Jesus has expounded upon his teaching. Like this is early in his ministry. He's expounded upon his teaching post the resurrection, his death and resurrection, and the, and the explanations of his followers, we know when, we, when, when people of that are followers of Jesus say things like, I'm born again, I'm saved, what they're saying is, I have believed that Jesus is the Son of God, and that his death and resurrection provide a way for me to be in relationship with the Father. That I can receive forgiveness, that I can appoint him as leader of my life, and that he'll fill me with his Holy Spirit and change everything. Now we know that it's grace, right? Like Ephesians 2a. It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not by works. In other words, it's not things that we do. It's the grace that we receive from God. But yet, here's what's really interesting. When Jesus answers this question about eternal life, he ties it so tightly to how we love God and how we love people that it is unmistakable that we cannot separate the two. We can't say, oh, I believe in Jesus and I have eternal life, but I don't love people and I don't love God. Or even just, I love God, but I don't love people. Because that one's something we all feel at times, isn't it? I, we, he says you can't separate the two. They are so holistically tied. You can, their true saving faith means we are growing in a holistic love for God and for people. I always think of it this way. You can't, you can't really fall in love with Jesus and not fall in love with what Jesus loves. Jesus loves people. That is clear from his life. He loves to show mercy. we gotta, we got to root all of that. And a true faith, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have true faith, the natural outcome of true faith, active faith, is love. It just, it just starts to like pour up in you and, you, and you might struggle with it more than someone else. Maybe someone else is just warm and friendly and touchy-feely and you feel like, I'm not a touchy-feely person. And yet, you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, things are changing for you and you're being confronted with, how do I love well? How do I love well? Now, when, he gives, when the lawyer gives this answer, he says, you answered correctly. The lawyer's standing there. We're going to talk about this in a minute. He's like, now I feel kind of uncomfortable because he's realizing, you know that moment you realize I don't really measure up to what I just said that I should measure up to and kind of uncomfortable. with." So he asks this question, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor then? You say I gotta love, yeah, yeah. I love God with all my heart, and mind, and strength, but love my neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? Like, how far does this go? We'll talk about that in a minute. But when he asks this question about who is my neighbor, Jesus, who this is what I love about Jesus. When he tells parables, I don't know if you've ever noticed this about why Jesus tells parables. But if you go into the Gospels and you look at why Jesus tells parables, it's because he knows something that sometimes we don't in our culture of education and information. He knows that information isn't transformation. In other words, just because you learn something new and that feels good, don't mistake the energy of learning something new and feeling good about it for what's actually transformed your heart. Jesus knows that theology is not for the mind, it's for the heart. It enters through the mind, but it has to transform you. And so Jesus tells a story because he says, you need to understand what it feels like and what it really means. And we should really ask him, like, what does this actually mean for me? And so he tells a story. He says, I, I'm going gonna, gonna to tell you this story, and it's brilliant. The story is brilliant, because what he does is, he tells the story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, which sounds a bit like one of those jokes that we tell, right? Hey, I got the story about a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan, right? And so, but the brilliance of this is in the crowd are a whole bunch of Jewish people, and priests, and lawyers, and Levites, like, that's the crowd. And he tells the story, and in the story, this guy gets hurt. Well, we're going to read that, but the priest who you think, well, he'll stop, right? He's a priest. He's got to stop for the guy. The priest walks by the guy. That's hurt. He needs help. And then the Levite, you go, oh, well, that, he's, he's in the temple all the time. Surely he's going to stop. He walks by. I mean, the, the guys that you think they should stop don't stop. And this is the brilliance of the story, and so... Here it is. Jesus replies. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. But a Samaritan comes along. Now, I want you to picture what this means in this story. The priest and the Levite, they kind of walk by, but a Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritan, if you were a Jew who was listening to this story, you look down on Samaritans. They're kind of like your enemy. So here's the picture in your mind. I want you to picture for a second. You know, you're out along 944, you're going for a walk, right? And, and a deer comes out of nowhere and runs into you, okay? And you're like, you're like flabbergasted and hurt and breaks your leg, and you're laying alongside the road. And I want you to think about, like, now you're out there along the road. Who is the person you least want to find you? Just picture that person in your mind. It's going to be a different person for all of you. Some of you are picturing me, like, don't let Andrews find me. He'll tell a a story about it on Sunday. Don't let that happen. No, picture that person in your mind, like, who is that person that you, honestly, you're the least likely person you want to find? That is the Samaritan to the Jew. That's him. I I don't want to be found by that person. So the Samaritan comes along, and these people here in the story would have thought, well, that guy's not going to do it, and I do not want that guy finding you. He's, he's not going to help you. And while the priest and the Levite, they walk down the other side of the road, the Samaritan comes close. It says, as he journeyed and came to where this man was that was hurt, when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds. And he poured oil, and he poured wine on them. And he set him on his own animal. And he brought him to the inn. And he took care of him. Like overnight, he took care of him. He made sure he was okay. He laid him in there. He made sure everything was going okay with him. He nursed him back to health. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave gave them to the innkeeper. He gave money to the innkeeper, and he said, Hey, listen, you take care. And I'll tell you what, whatever else it takes, however else long it takes, when I come back this way, I'll repay you for it. But just take care of it. And then he looks at the lawyer and he says, now, of these three guys, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, who do you think was a neighbor? Who do you think loved their neighbor well? This is great. Because the lawyer can't even bring himself To say Samaritan. And so what he says is, he says, well, the one who showed him mercy. Whoever that was, you know. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, now go and do likewise. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to show us what mercy looks like. To show us how to love our neighbor and what mercy is. Can look like. Jesus came to show us that mercy, we need to show mercy sacrificially. We need to meet real needs with sacrificial deeds, with things that will cost us something. Now I'm sure that you've experienced that sometime in your life. And maybe some of you, it was a parent who sacrificed so you could get through college. Or, you know, maybe as a kid you knew that your parents, they worked hard to provide for. Or maybe it was a friend at some point in your life where they just they put down their agenda when you were going through something hard and they showed up. And they sacrificed to show you mercy. Or maybe it was that police officer when you got caught for speeding or something and they gave you off on a warning. <coughs> Susie, never happens to me. Happens all the time to my wife. Never happens to me. They take one look at me and are like, you were getting a ticket. There's no doubt. I still remember the time um, our basement flooded at our house. And, like, when I say flooded, I don't mean like an inch. Like, it was, the water was literally above my knees in the basement, right? So we had all this stuff down there. It was a disaster. I just sat on the stairs. I went, what am I going to do? And someone called me. Susie had gone to church because to, she had worship that day. Um, just goes to show you how crazy we are about. Jesus in the church, because we're like, hey, things could blow up in her house. It's church. Let's go to church. Let's minister to people. And uh, someone asked her about it, and they said, just pray. And before we knew it, I got, uh, that afternoon, there were 40 people at my house. Some of you guys were there, like, just cleaning up, like, st- st- something I could not do. And um, it was overwhelming. What it felt like to receive mercy changed my life. I will never forget that. We need to be a part of that in other people's lives. And Jesus leaves little room for misunderstanding here about meeting real needs with sacrificial deeds. But it's not just with our friends and our family and the people we care about, and it should be about them. But it's also for the stranger. It's also for the person that we might even consider our enemy, that we might be uncomfortable with. Ah, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. That mercy requires us to sacrifice. And it is at the heart of the gospel. The whole point of the gospel is around mercy. It's why Jesus came. See, in Christianity, Jesus ties this all so tightly together with what it means to have eternal life. But really what Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to tell you this story because what I want you to understand is this is Christianity 101. Like, this is the the first class. This is the basis of who the kind of people we should be. It's like if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to paint my house, but I don't know where to start. What would you say? You would say, go buy some paint, go buy a brush. That's where you start. That's where you start if you want to paint your house, right? You get a can of paint, and you get a brush. This is what the parable of the Good Samaritan is saying to you and I. As followers of Jesus, it's your can of paint, it's your brush. It's the very basic, it's the essentials of what you need to follow Jesus. It's to be a Good Samaritan, it's to be someone who shows mercy the way Jesus. Shows mercy. John, who was one of, called Jesus' beloved disciples, was one of Jesus' best friends. And in 1 John, he says that if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Whew. Tough question, isn't it? That's a real question. In other words, if God has given you talents and finances the reason he gave them to you was to look around you and say, who's in need, and how do I help? It wasn't just for your own things and what you could take care of. It was that you could be a blessing to others. So, who's on your Jericho road? Who do you see in your life that needs mercy? and you've might, Maybe you've been resisting. it. Maybe it's a family member that you're just like, driving me crazy yet they need mercy. Maybe maybe it's someone in our church family. You've you've seen it, and you're like, "Mm, should I ask them about it or not? But you felt like, maybe I should move in. Maybe I should lean in and say, can I help? Maybe it's an actual neighbor or a co-worker or a fellow student that you might go, ah, they're not that popular, not that likable. And yet Jesus requires us. This is what he requires. He says, you're going to follow me. You've got to lean into seeing those people and saying, how do I show them mercy? God, what do you want me to do here? The kicker of this whole parable is that it's not something that's about convenience. It's not easy. It's something that God asks us to do. And something that God says, listen, don't ask what should others be doing. for Ask what should you be doing. God, what do you want me to do for them? because it's the paint and brushes of Christianity. It's where it all starts. Be merciful is Jesus' mercy. And Jesus says there's a, there's a second lesson in this story when we look at it. I want to talk to you about that lesson. It's not just about sacrifice. He says it's also about compassion, that we need to show mercy compassionately. So the law, the law the lawyer, he asked this question. Remember the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the answer was love God and love your neighbor. And this is is where the difference comes in between the way the law expert, you know, ah, this is what I need to do. Like this, Between the way he responds to this and the inspiration of the Good Samaritan story, the margin, the gap in between is this moment where when he hears that loving God and loving people is so closely tied to a relationship with God for eternity that he goes, how do I make this achievable, manageable? So he asks this question, and his question is because he it basically this is what the scripture says. It says, "But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself." Now this means that moment. You know the moment where you're like, "That sounds kind of hard." Now I'm I'm doing okay there. You know, that sounds kind of hard, but hey, other people do that. That's not my shtick. You know, that's that's other people's thing, but that, not not me. Like. Desiring to justify himself and say, I'm a pretty good person, though. I'm pretty good. Like, I don't want to actually look at this really in my life. Desiring to justify him, he says to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor? I mean, Jesus, how far do you really want to go with this thing? This whole love your neighbor thing. How far does this really go? Jesus says, no loopholes. It's not about making it manageable. This is about looking at your heart and understanding, do you really love your neighbor? Do you really care about people and what work needs to get done there that God, only God can do in your heart? I mean, his first thought in this moment when he hears, love God, and love your neighbor, is not about his neighbor. It's about him. How do I make this more manageable? How do I make this not so inconvenient? Does that sound familiar? I mean, if we were to be honest about some of the things that we say in our heads, What would they look like? I mean, come on. How many of you on the 10th or 15th grocery trip when you get asked that question about the dollar donation are like, how many times do I have to donate to this thing? Right? Like, I've been here 15 times this week. How many of us, like, get those requests in the mail? Maybe you're a good Christian person, and you're like, hey, I already give 10% of my income. I'm, I'm obedient to what God said. Like, I, I am leaning into him, and I'm giving 10% of my income to the local church, and it's ministering to people. Let somebody else that's not giving give to them before we even consider, God, is that something that you want? How many of us see all those opportunities? Like, you know, at Daybreak, we have all these opportunities. And this, this, is, this is real for me. Like, all these opportunities to be involved in mercy. And it feels a bit like, so uh, probably, Three or four months ago, Susan and I were at this diner. If you've ever been to a diner that has one of those menus that there's like a hundred items on it, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you just keep paging. There's like 50 pages. It's like a hymnal, you know, of stuff, and you start looking through it. The wait the waiter staff keeps coming back to us and saying, "Are you ready?" And we're like, "No, we're only on page three. There's seven more pages. We don't know," you know. And so, like, you feel a little frozen up. You know what I'm saying? How many of you feel that? Like, you're just like, I just be honest, I'm just a little overwhelmed. What should I do? Can I, should I do all of it? Should I do none of it? You just, you kind of get frozen up. Remember, maybe you're like me. Like, so to be honest, I didn't grow up in a, hey, let me give you lots of mercy family. I mean, my family slogan was suck it up, buttercup, right? Like, you got a problem? Fix it, you know? Like, don't, don't be whining about it. Like, that, that was my whole family motto. And so I grew up in this family. And, they, you know, there's good things to that. Like, my my parents meant some good things in terms of, like, hey, you know what? Like, you should be taking care of others, not just worrying about, like, yourself and having everybody do stuff. Like, they wanted me to be, hey, I want to teach you how to be a person who contributes, not just a person who, but out of that, like, I had to learn. I've had to learn. This whole following Jesus thing was all new for me. To say, how do I feel mercy? How do I not use that suck it up buttercup on others, you know, and say, well, you know, just, Get it done. How do I move from a place like the lawyer asked, like, who is my neighbor? In other words, God, how can I be off the hook about this? You know, other people are merciful. That's just not my game. Because justification, self-justification, rationalizing, trying to say, oh, no, I'm good over here but not there, it kills any opportunity for compassion. Compassion requires us to get close. Today's equivalent might be, you might be like, well, I'm in grad school, or I'm pretty poor myself, or I just had I just have kids, I have lots of kids, and I can't do all that. I'm I'm so busy, or I have a lot of debt. Self-justifying kills our hope to be compassionate, and worse if we want to be filled with God's compassion, if we want to feel what God feels, if we want to be filled with the joy and the passion of what God wants for us, and, and to be anointed in ministry and to feel what that feels like, then we have to open ourselves up to it. We have to be allow, allow ourselves to know where the gap is and say, God, it's, you have to fill the gap. I can't fill the gap. I can't just get there. God, you have to fill the gap. Otherwise, we begin to ask question the lawyer asks. Who does and doesn't? deserve my compassion. Now, I love about our church is that there's so much compassion and mercy in our church. It's part of kind of weaved into the thread of who we are. Like they, when you give, every time you give, you give to ministry, you give to people who are marginalized, who are in crisis, who need. Like that's that's who we are. That's what ministry is about for us. Every time a small group leaders, and I've heard these stories all the time of small group of leaders, how they come alongside people, families in crisis, and say, We're going to be a part of ministering to them. We are going to sacrifice and give to them. We, we partner with nonprofits who want to do the work in Jesus' name as well. And we say, We want to partner with you, we want to help people experience Jesus. We regularly subsidize counseling when people's marriages are in crisis so that they can get the counsel that they need so their marriage cannot just survive, but thrive. We know that this is what mercy looks like. But to say I'm involved in a family who is merciful is not to say the same thing as to say I'm merciful. You know what I'm saying? Like I can say, well, yeah, hey, I grew up, I grew up in a family, and my parents were generous, therefore I'm generous. That wouldn't be true, would it? See, I've actually got to sacrifice, I've actually got to participate. That's what God requires us. That's what Jesus is. That's what He's trying to do for the lawyer. He's saying, listen, just because you're religious and you belong to a religious sect doesn't make you compassionate, doesn't make you have mercy. You've got to choose to be a part of it. And what I want you to notice in this story is that the difference between the lawyer's response and the Samaritan's response was proximity. The priest and the Levite, they walked across the other side of the road. They didn't get close. As long as people in need, the marginalized, the the people around you that have needs, as long as they remain faceless and nameless, and you don't get close enough to have to feel their pain, you can't feel compassion. I mean, the things that changed me in this area are going on missions trips, serving in soup kitchens. When I come up close and personal, when I get in crisis as a pastor and I'm at the hospital when someone's loved one is dying, this is when I feel Compassion. This is when, for me, suck it up, buttercup goes out the window and I go, I'm in, God. But you have to fill the gap. Some of you might feel like, I I don't know if I could be in those situations fill the gap. Well, you know what? You don't have to be in that situation and have it all done. God wants to be there. He's already there. All you're doing is stepping into it and saying, God, I know you're already here. You already care about this. And now I just want to, too. I just want to be in the same spot with you. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is when we see someone who has needs do we ask, what will it cost me? Or do we ask, what is it costing them? Because that's the difference in the response. Now the question is, how do I have that kind of mercy? And I want you to hear this today because when Jesus ends this parable, he ends it with unmistakable words. Now go and do likewise. So you can't, you can't keep your distance from people who need mercy and be transformed. In other words, you can't say, "I'm a Jesus follower." But not there. I'm not following you there." She says, "No. You can't experience the power of God unless you follow Jesus to those places where the power of God is at work. You cheat yourself of the life-giving power of Jesus unless you're willing to deal with these real issues of the heart. So, one of the things that we've done this year as a church, um, we always had this Christmas cafe, many of you have come here for a long time, you know that this Christmas cafe, and when we first thought of Christmas cafe, we thought of it as a place where people could come in the Christmas season, and really experience what Jesus' family was. People who were unchurched, people who like, ah, I don't know about what's going to happen here, but... It became a great tradition for our church, but not so much a great tradition for helping people outside the church discover that love. And so we said, you know what? We think Jesus is all about mercy, and especially in this season. And so we want to lean into a place as a church family. We want to be the inn that the Good Samaritan comes to. We want to be the space that someone can come who needs mercy and get the healing they need. And so... We said we're not going to put all our energy. It took a lot of energy to pull off cafe. We're not going to put all our energy into that. We're going to put our energy into something where people can feel mercy, where as a church we provide an inn where people can come in safety and be met by that, and it's called Blue Christmas. And so I just want you to watch a video a little bit that helps you understand that, so that you can begin to think of who are the people in my life who are along the side of the road who need me mercy. Let's watch.
1: Christmas is a wonderful service to go to. For me it was um, warm and welcoming, Um, it was beautiful, the music was wonderful, and it really helped me through the season um, of a hard sad time when everyone else around you is happy and cheerful.
2: In preparing for last year's event, I remember thinking uh, immediately of a friend of mine, Jody, who uh, had lost her 23-year-old daughter uh, to a to a distracted driver, uh, just earlier that past this past year.
1: It's not always good to keep in your emotions, and for me, this service was a great service to attend and let my emotions out and keep myself healthy through the holidays.
2: In planning the songs, I, I remember thinking about Jody and thinking about what are the kinds of things that I that I want God to to hopefully speak to her. Um, and then when the night started and and we got the first song underway, Um, I'll just never forget the the feeling of just God's presence just flooding into the room.
1: The music and the service was wonderful. And the best part of it was knowing that I'm not alone through this time.
2: I think it's our job to encourage our loved ones and our coworkers and our friends, uh, and even ourselves if we're experiencing grief uh, to come before God and this event is such an amazing opportunity to do that
1: so to me I'm very grateful for this service and I think walking through the doors was hard but I'm so glad I did it and I plan to do it next year
2: so if you're struggling with with grief personally please come to the event uh, you will be moved and you will you will feel healing um, and if you're not you have to know someone who is uh, maybe God's calling you this Christmas season to, to reach out to them. And sit next to them, and I guarantee you will have an amazing time.
0: Our hope is that you'll begin to think now about people that you've heard at work, or at school, or wherever else in your life. Family, you're just like, man, I just hear them talk, and Christmas is hard. Like, holidays are hard. Like, they, they just had a hard year, and they're talking about that. And you go, you know what? I want to provide you a space to process space that maybe you could, God could meet you and change your perspective a little bit. A place that you could find some healing. A place that you could just process all of that and that you'll invite them to come with you. That you'll be a mercy giver, that you'll take a risk that's sacrificial and that's compassionate and invite them into that space. So this season, um, as you enter in and you think, how do I be merciful as Jesus is merciful? You know, that, mo- that moment that you're stuck in the Silver Springs Plaza, right? Everyone's trying to leave and you're like, I am going to run over everyone here to get out of this place because I'm getting ants. You know what I mean? The secret is to go around the back way of Target and Wags, okay? That's the secret. Just pretend you're an emergency vehicle. So um, my point is, my point is this. As you enter into this and you're like, how am I going to do that? How am I going to feel that? As you think of the Good Samaritan story, you need to be reminded that you were once that guy that's half dead along the road. You were, you were the person who Jesus found and said, I want you not to be poor. I want you to not. You were the one who was wounded, and Jesus said, I'm going to come. I'm going to bind up your wounds. You were the one who someone came along and said, I want to invite you in. I want you to experience something different. You're the one. And as you feel that and realize what Jesus has done for you, what the gospel actually says, which is, I came to rescue you, but then to help you become a rescuer. Let your heart be changed. Let yourself be reminded of how much God loves you. Let yourself be reminded in those moments in the Silver Springs Plaza, just how short you fall of being merciful, like Jesus is merciful. And then say, Jesus, will you fill in the gap? Make me that kind of person. So this season, I want I want to invite you right now to pull out your response card and we'll give you a chance to respond. Maybe God's invited you to something this morning. There's a, also the Blue Christmas. Invites in there to be able to pray through and say, God, what do you want? What are you asking me? Who is in my life that needs mercy? Who have I heard that's processing a bad year that I could invite along? And I'm going to begin to pray for them. If you'll write their name down, we'll pray for them too. What's God speaking into your life this morning about being merciful, like He's merciful, meeting Him and living a life of powerful, the powerfulness of the Spirit of God in you because you went to the places that He's already working with people? I want to invite you to grow your compassion, to get proximity in relationships with people, and to let that change your life. So let me take a moment and pray for you, and then I'll give you a chance to respond during the next worship song. Let's pray together. God, we all fall terribly short sometimes of being merciful like you've been merciful, Jesus. Maybe we even have merciful acts, but we don't always feel compassion. And yet you require it of us. You invite us into it. You, help, you, you invite us to see ourselves, God, as intensely in need of your mercy so that then we can be mercy givers to others. So God, fill us with your compassion. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Help us to give the courage to step into proximity to people with needs. Help us to be thankful, so thankful for your mercy that we just say, fill our hearts. Fill the gap, God, with your spirit and your love, that we might follow Jesus well, that we might be merciful as Jesus is merciful. We pray this in Jesus' name.